Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Right now, though, we're going to switch gears and talk about something um, that, if you're like me, I think will come as uh, something of an education. We've talked about nuclear energy before on this show, and there's a large group of people out there, experts, scientists, people who, who are into this, who say, listen, if you want to be serious about the transitional economy, if you want to be serious about alternative energy and green energy, and the list goes on, and you're not talking about nuclear energy, you're right out of the game. It needs to be part of the discussion. Now, we know what the barriers are. Think nuclear, and you think Chernobyl and Three Mile Island and Fukushima, scary stuff. Um, it's not like that anymore. We know in our province, they're talking about the small reactors as being something that might happen here. Uh, there's been some progress on that front, but still, it's not, you know, we hear more about windmills than we do about nuclear power plants, which uh, doesn't make sense to a whole lot of people. So we're going to have a discussion here because the federal government has uh, come up with, it's called the Green Bond Framework, and that's where we need to start. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to chat with Dr. Chris Kiefer, who is a Toronto emergency room physician. He's also president of Canadians for uh, Nuclear Energy. Uh, Dr. Kiefer, thanks for joining us again. Always a pleasure to chat, sir. It's great to be back, Shay. Thanks for having me. Well, let, let's just start right at the beginning. The Green Bond Framework. I had to do a lot of reading about this, and I don't know if I fully understand it. Can you walk us through exactly what the Green Bond Framework is? Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a financial mechanism for the government to take on some more debt to do some government spending, right? And the rationale here is that, um, you know, they can create a vehicle, um, you know, issue a triple-A bond um, that's very low risk for private capital to come and give the government some money so they can spend it on some good things. Um, and this is something that's happening around the world. You've probably heard of ESG. Um, yep. You might have heard in the EU that they've spent about better part of three years arguing about their so-called green taxonomy, which is, you know, which basket of technologies are they going to include um, as eligible for green finance um, for their green energy transition. Um, and nuclear was actually included after a big, long struggle. Um, so what's happened here in Canada is um, our famously anti-nuclear environment and climate minister, Stephen Gilbo, has, it looks like, really single-handedly, without any public or scientific consultation, ruled out nuclear as part of uh, a green technology for this bond. Um, and he's not only ruled it out, he's lumped it in with the, uh, the SIN stocks. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a list of arms. things that don't qualify yeah. for the green bonds, and things yeah. like gambling are included in there along with nuclear energy. Yeah, gambling, um, arms manufacturing, uh, alcohol and tobacco manufacturing. So, I mean, things you'd you know be scratching your head wondering why the government would be spending money on that sure. anyway. But, but I, you know, it's 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 kind of trolling is, is kind of how I look at it. But in any case, the minister has has really um, taken a gamble on this, um, and we know that this is going to cripple climate action. Um, we have to get serious here. You were mentioning sort of what are the available technologies um, to, to decarbonize our country. Um, wind and solar are just not doing it. We no. have the evidence. The evidence is in. You know, I was in Germany last year. Um, you know, Germany, which has made itself an utter addict of Russian oil and gas, 
by spending uh, over 550 billion U.S. dollars um, on wind and solar, essentially, to, to try and transition off of oil. Well, the first few days of the Russian invasion, the windmills were performing pretty well, but they dropped off about day three and four. That that $500 billion investment was producing about 6% of uh, its, its potential energy that it could. And they're in a scramble, right? There's more gas flowing under Ukraine right now uh, during the war than there was beforehand. They're, they're running their coal plants all out. So we can see that, you know, the emperor has no clothes when it comes to this idea that we're going to be able to, you know, get off of fossil fuels with wind and solar. Yeah. And the, the record here in Canada is we've, we've done it with nuclear. We did it in Ontario. We phased out coal in Ontario with nuclear energy. Where are we in terms of the rest of the world when we talk about uh, nuclear energy? Are there, are there jurisdictions a little more willing to jump into it? Is it happening in other places? Are we, uh, you know, sort of out of step here? Oh, it's, it's happening in a big way right now. I mean, Canada is a, is a real leader. Um, we pioneered the Can-Do Can reactor? reactor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of our Avro Aero, right? It's, it's an incredible piece of technology. Um, I mean, it's not the Avro Aero that we're still using it, and it's still performing very, very well. Um, there's been, you know, sequential uh, development. It's, it's gotten better and better over the years. And, you know, in, where I am talking to you from here in Ontario right now, we have one of the lowest carbon electricity grids in the world, um, thanks to Can-Do. Um, so, but we're not unique. There's countries like France, um, which runs on an even higher percentage of nuclear energy. And there's been a real sea change. Um, you know, in this last year, the price of energy has gotten very, very expensive. Um, ESG, green finance, has really pushed money away from traditional forms of energy um, towards things like wind and solar. And we're in an energy crunch. We've seen that with skyrocketing fossil fuel prices even before the war, such as the gas in Europe. And countries are realizing that when fossil fuels get expensive, you you got to go nuclear. Yeah. Um, so there's been a huge a huge change here. France is planning on phasing out nuclear from 75 to 50 percent of their supply, and they're they're heading back in going gangbusters. There was a, just a new president elected in South Korea, who's reversed their decision for nuclear phase out and is planning to export 10 new nuclear reactors uh, before 2030. So so Canada's really out of step with the world, and and it's really changing, seeing the energy reality. Um, and understanding the importance of nuclear energy for for decarbonization and for energy independence, frankly, in the setting of this Russian aggression in Ukraine. How big of a setback is this decision to exclude it from the green bond framework? How much of a setback is it for um, nuclear energy proponents and development in Canada? Uh, I mean, this this has huge implications. Um, this this green bond is going to be for an initial five billion dollars, um, which will be announced, I think, uh, June or July of this year. But we're talking about in the future, tens, maybe even hundreds of billions of dollars could be issued through this framework. And if we're locking out really the only um, keystone decarbonizing technology that really has the evidence that it works to get us off of fossil fuels, um, we're kneecapping ourselves. And we're frankly kneecapping the Canadian economy because you have to understand um, wind and solar, we don't, we don't make um, uh, wind turbines or solar panels here in Canada. Those are made in places with incredibly cheap energy and incredibly cheap labor and incredibly poor environmental standards, right? We have the Uyghurs in China, which are largely incarcerated, um, involved in forced labor in the supply chain for solar panels, for instance. But what we can say about uh, our can-do nuclear technology is that the supply chain is all here in Canada. We have a 96% made-in-Canada supply chain. We mine the uranium, we make the fuel, we have the IP on the technology to turn that into useful electricity. So every dollar that we invest here in Canada in nuclear energy stays in our communities, gives people really high-paying jobs, um, provides a good tax base for schools and roads and education. Um, so it's, 
it's really a no-brainer, but we have to drop some old prejudices and we have to drop, um, you know, a lot of misinformation that we've been fed over the years, which the minister is, is playing into. That's what I'm wondering. Why? If we see all these other countries that have decided to go ahead and are seeing the benefit in it, is it just because of, like I said off the top, the scary images a lot of people have when they hear about nuclear power plants? Is that all it is? And using that to sort of say, oh, we don't want to do that. Look what can happen. Listen, I mean, there there have been accidents. Um, sure. Just as in aviation, there have been accidents. It's important to acknowledge those. They've been really blown out of proportion because we displace a lot of our anxieties about nuclear weapons, about nuclear war, onto nuclear power. Um, you know, so for instance, like the Three Mile Island nuclear accident in the States, most people will categorize that as a catastrophe or a disaster. It was an industrial accident. There was no significant dose of radiation to any of the general public around that plant. The highest dose was the equivalent of one chest X-ray, right? In, in Fukushima, people conflate the deaths from the tsunami and earthquake, about 50 to 20,000 people, with deaths as a result of radiation from the nuclear plant. There were zero deaths from radiation from Fukushima. So we've, we've radically overestimated the dangers of nuclear energy. It's something that has risks inherent to it, but we understand those risks very well. Um, and just as we've gained confidence to fly in, you know, pressurized metal tubes 30,000 feet above the Earth um, in modern jet aviation, we've gained a sufficient experience and expertise to run nuclear reactors incredibly safely. And outside of the Soviet Union, uh, there's not been a single life lost to a nuclear accident. So where do you go from here? Doctor, I mean, uh, obviously, as you said, this was done without consultation. It's always better if you can have your voice heard before a decision is made. But what do you do now retroactively after this framework came out? Well, you know, as you mentioned, I am the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy. Our, our organization has launched a House of Commons petition. Um, it was just launched yesterday. Um, we have 800 signatures already in about 16 hours. Um, once you get to 500 signatures um, and it's been sponsored by an MP in the House, it's going to be read on the floor of the House of Commons. And after you get to that number of signatures, the government has to table a written response to the petition. So I'm very much looking forward to that. The petition will be read in mid-April uh, by MP Corey Toker of Saskatchewan. Um, and, you know, we're going to be into the fight. Um, you know, this all started in Glasgow when I confronted uh, Stephen Gilbo about his longstanding anti-nuclear record as a Greenpeace activist and whether that would cloud his judgment. You know, there is a scientific consensus. The IPCC, all four of its decarbonization pathways, the largest scientific organization in the world looking at climate change, calls for a drastic increase in nuclear energy. And I said, is this going to cloud your judgment? He said, listen, the government has no role um, in deciding on, on uh, energy technology for decarbonization. The market will decide. Six months later, he's in, in this ministerial position. And with a stroke of pen in government, he's struck nuclear down as a potential solution. So, you know, we'll be fighting this uh, tooth, uh, tooth and nail every, every step of the way because this is important. This is important for Canada, for Canadian prosperity. It's important for our kids. It's important for our climate. Uh, it's important for our energy independence. So, you know, we'll be there. And I encourage your listeners to go to www.c4ne, that's the number four, .ca, um, and they can find a link to sign the petition. Uh, Dr. Kiefer, we'll continue to check in. I think you uh, you make some really good points in terms of, um, you know, this is something that a lot of people are saying is, is it has to be at least part of the discussion when we talk about, you know, clean energy and the energy transition and all the rest of that stuff. And, I've, you know, a lot of people say if you're not talking about it, you're not talking about it seriously. So we'll continue to check in and follow your work, and uh, we appreciate the update. Shay, thanks for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. Thank you, sir. That's Dr. Chris Kiefer. He's uh, he's a Toronto emergency room physician, but he's also president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy. And you might remember we had him on last time. He was the guy that um, actually approached um, our environment minister at COP26 in Scotland and confronted him about nuclear energy in Canada. And 
you, as you heard him say, this is what happened. So uh, work needs to be done.